You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Lunchtime Movie Review. We're back again to discuss movies from our childhood. Uh, we've got a great panel that are willing to talk about uh, our movie today. I'm Matt. I'm Denoid. I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. And before we get to our review today, we do have a commercial. We do have an advertisement uh, this week. Is drinking and driving getting you in trouble? Call the law office of Hobson and Bitterman, defenders of the super-rich. Sign up at the initial consultation and receive a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue Label. The law office of Hobson and Bitterman. We care. All right. Who's got, our, uh, who's got the summary this week? I do. I knew it wasn't me, so that's good. By listener's choice from our online poll, they have chosen Arthur, and thus we have to review it. Don't you wish you were Arthur? Would the more attractive of you please step forward? <laughs> Gonna cost you a hundred dollars. Let's make it two hundred dollars, but I will ask you to simonize my car. <laughs> How rich are you? I wish I had a dime for every dime I have. <laughs> Anticipating your condition, I brought you orange juice, coffee, and aspirins, or do you need to throw up? <laughs> Usually one must go to a bowling alley to meet a woman of your stature. I take it this bum will be calling you. Dad, he's a millionaire. You have my permission to marry him. Arthur is a character that every man can relate to. He has never worked a day in his life, he's filthy rich, and his drinking puts David Crosby to shame. The movie opens on the busy streets of New York, but the music makes you feel like you're in an elevator or about to have a root canal. Seriously, Christopher Cross is so bad he makes Barry Manilow sound like ACDC. In the opening scene, a drunk Arthur picks up a hooker and takes her to the Palace Hotel. Here is where we learn that Arthur's biggest and only problem is that his parents want him to marry Susan, a good-looking rich woman who loves drunk trolls. Later on that night, Arthur, committing a DUI, collides with a hard-working father of four, paralyzing him. But Arthur is funny, so we accept this. Arthur is informed by his family that if he does not marry Susan, he will be cut off from the family money and he will become poor. Oh no, say it ain't so. Arthur's only true friend in the house is Hobson, his house honky. Hobson is more arrogant and snooty than any other character in this movie, but he is probably the poorest since he is a slave. While shopping one day, Arthur meets Linda, played by Judy Garland's vaginal vomit Liza Minnelli. She is dressed like a taxi cab so not to draw attention while she shoplifts a man's necktie. Arthur rescues her from security and becomes caught between the moon and New York City. I know it's crazy, but it's true. 
Later that day, Arthur cuts a pregnant woman in half with his Rolls Royce, but he's amusing, so we forgive him. Arthur goes on to propose to Susan. However, Susan's dad, Beverly Hills Police Chief Hubbard, tells Arthur he will kill him if he disappoints Susan. Arthur begins to date Linda, proving that alcohol makes men want to sleep with talentless women with boy cuts. Linda's dad, played by Jerry Seinfeld's dad, is happy since Arthur is rich, and that's pretty racist. Arthur, wanting the money, breaks up with Linda. Later that day, Arthur gets a liver transplant. He is rich, so he is moved to the front of the line. Hobson talks Linda into breaking up Arthur and Susan because Arthur is in love with Linda. After doing this, Hobson gets sick and dies. Arthur sobers up to watch his friend die. Apparently, Arthur can deal with death, but nothing else. The day of the wedding, Arthur gets drunk and tells Linda that he is in love with her and he will not marry Susan. God knows why, since Susan is so much better than Linda, but Arthur's drunk. Arthur tells Susan he doesn't love her, and Susan's father tries to kill him, which is about time in my opinion. The wedding is called off. Arthur tells his family that he's going to get a job, and they give him the money since no one should have to work to get rich. Later that day, Arthur kills a busload of school children in a fiery crash. Arthur walked away unharmed. We forgive him because he is a happy drunk. And that is Arthur. You ruined one of my favorite childhood films. Arthur, a, a typical childhood film. I know, and, and, and this was one of, one of my favorite – I say this a lot. I know. This is, <laughs> that's, we're reviewing these 80s movies. I get it because they were all our favorite uh, childhood films. But this was a, an important one for me and one that I really look forward to doing because as I was talking to my, uh, my little brother – this was one we remembered. It was kind of this, the pirate movie, you know, these are – okay, so I was a homosexual as a child. Anyway, but I – this was one of the movies that I loved as a kid, and I realized in watching it back, this is not a kid's movie by any stretch of the imagination. No, I agree. I, I mean I do have sympathy for Arthur because growing up it was – my grandmother is Arthur. So, I mean <laughs> With there's all the a money. place in my heart for her. <laughs> or With all the money or just the uh, – dysfunctional drunken behavior unfortunately just the dysfunctional drunken behavior although she never brought home a hooker but uh, that she admitted to what year did this come out came out uh july 17th of 1981 um it was released the same time as actually the same week as endless love and one of matt's favorites zorro the gay blade oh i did love zorro the gay blade uh, i still own that <laughs> all right we're calling it matt was a homosexual <laughs> You can call it experimentation. Fortunately, yeah. I was able to pray away the gay, and uh, and now my my wife and boyfriend are uh, are doing well. Uh, uh, so it was like a. I mean, this is we're talking basically a summer. I don't know that I want to call it a blockbuster, but this is a a summer movie. It's one that they're expecting to roll out to make a lot of money at a at a, at a time this during the summer rush. In 1981, they it, summer movies weren't necessarily as big as they are now but it was a blockbuster it was the fourth highest grossing film of the year it made uh, just over 95 million dollars the only three films it was behind were raiders lost ark which obviously was a juggernaut on golden pond and superman 2 oh on golden oh, pond man. what a piece of shit uh, on golden pond was number two that year guys wow Although, the best Superman of the series, in my opinion, Superman 2, you will kneel to Zod. No, so so it does really well. It's a real popular movie. But really, Dudley Moore, uh, who, who is Arthur, uh, really doesn't have a big film career before this. 
he didn't. You know, I always remember him as being kind of iconic to the 80s. I remember him being in a lot of films, but prior to this, he had a supporting role in Foul Play. Um, Which had, I loved him in Foul Play. No, he was very good in Foul Play. He had uh, His big breakout role as kind of a lead is 10 and then he did Holy Moses, which was another lead a film where he was the lead in just prior to it. But, you know, after after this, he does a, a series of very forgettable films where he's almost always primarily the lead. And then in the early 90s, just disappears. As I'm watching Arthur, right, for the – and I haven't seen it in a long time. It really was one of my favorite movies as a, as a kid, but it's been a while. That opening scene where Arthur goes to pick up the hookers. Oh, God. Would the more attractive of you please step forward? <laughs> God, that's funny. <laughs> no, actually, actually, you're both very attractive. Was the one of the things I'm attracted? Please step forward. Quick as possible, time is money. What you have in mind? Uh, VV. I'm really into penicillin. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> <coughs> Actually, what I had in mind was was spending the evening with a, a stranger who loves me. It's gonna cost you a hundred dollars. Oh yeah, what time did you get off work? <laughs> I'm hooked after that scene and his interaction with the hookers and his his one-liners through that. He has about half a dozen, and I'm just rolling. I was rolling as I was listening to that for the first time. So I'm in after the first scene. I loved it after he paid the uh, other hooker a hundred bucks for coming in second. <clears throat> yeah, it starts off really well. He's Dudley Moore has great comedic timing, uh, especially in this film, and I think he he definitely carries it. It's established immediately in in those scenes. I agree. Right, and you you pointed out something that I had always missed as a well, certainly as a kid, Jason. But it's also pretty. Uh, I guess we say dark humor, uh, certainly for the time. He, he the jokes are not just lighthearted uh, at all. No, I mean <clears throat> in that opening scene when he goes up to the hookers. He tells him he's addicted to penicillin and needs a, a reason to go back to the doctor to get some. Later on, after he picks up the hooker and takes her to dinner at the Palace Hotel, she opens up to Arthur and... Tell me about yourself. You mean why I'm a hooker? Are you a hooker? Jesus, I forgot. Oh, I just thought I was doing great with you. Okay. Why are you a hooker? My mother died when I was six. Son of a bitch! What? Don't they know what, what they do to kids? My father raped me when I was 12. So you had six relatively good years? And you don't get jokes like that in 81. Maybe today and maybe even in the 90s where, where that type of humor, you know, that dark black humor kind of started becoming uh, into vogue, but but not in not in 81. Yeah, he's lucky he didn't get cut. But I thought it was interesting in, in researching the, the Arthur character or the, the, the inspiration for how Dudley Moore plays it is he – he was inspired by his former comedy partner, Peter Cook, who, mm-hmm. appara- who apparently was a raging alcoholic. And w- that was the reason he and Dudley Moore broke up, which I think is, is, is ironic and kind of uh, interesting. But Did I- you read on Wikipedia where he was kind of, where Peter, uh, where, uh, was the name Peter Cook? Yes. Where you'd kind of egg him on, saying that he thought Arthur Two on the Rocks was a much better movie? But the one-liners in this, as you said, whether they're scripted or not, 
are just coming fast and furious throughout this film, not just with Dudley Moore, who is who is great, but John Gilgood as well, the the butler who who is pretty laugh out loud funny with some of his dry, biting, sarcastic uh, lines. Oh, absolutely. I love when he's he's insulting people, but he won't even give them the satisfaction of winking or smiling at him after he does it. Ironically, what I remember about this film, the funny I remember about this film was coming from him. Do you want to run my bath for me? That's what I live for. Perhaps you'd like me to come in there and wash your dick for you, you little shit. I mean, I remember that when I was a kid, and it would crack me up. And I wonder who would have enjoyed that one more. (laughs) In real life, Sir John Gilbert was. I'm sure. Like Matt, I hadn't seen this in years, probably not since the early 90s. And I loved it when I was a kid. Once again, we always talk about the kind of the HBO loop. This was on HBO constantly. You know, I watched it pretty much every time it would come on. And a lot of what I found funny this time, seeing it again, especially not seeing it for years, was the funniest parts to me were the Dudley Moore parts. Now that I, you know, I get it more that the the wit of it, uh, you know, doesn't sail over my head as it did when I was probably nine or ten. There's a lot of subtle humor that I didn't pick up as a as a kid. I pretty much just uh, laughed when Dudley Moore laughed. But now, um, even the nonverbal humor, facial expressions, um, little looks here and there between Dudley Moore and um, between him and John Gilgood, it just makes the film for me. I definitely saw a, a, a different movie uh, as an adult than I did when I was a little boy. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, about the nonverbal stuff. I mean, when you look at Dudley Moore, his drunk walk is perfect. The way he kind of stumbles and and just his body movement, I mean, it is – I think he really set the bar for drunken characters on film. To go even further, there's the one scene when he goes to Linda's place all drunk and goes to the wrong house. He took so much time in putting that that glass on the car, but it wasn't perfectly on top. It was to the side, and that's where he wanted it. I think that just floored me when he was first going in and when he came back the second time. It's just that little subtle thing that I enjoyed more of this that I didn't notice as a kid. Right, and he and in that scene, he it's like he's trying to catch it because he sees it's going to fall <laughs> as it's kind of leaning. And you can see a drunk guy, with, especially with his perspective, oh, don't want to miss my drink, walks all the way out, gets the drink, and then walks next door. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. And the walking behind the butler, which I do remember as a kid, uh, as he's mimicking him, it's great physical comedy by, by Dudley Moore. In addition to being just a commercial success and, and being a profitable film, I mean, it was a it, it was a critical success as well. Yeah, well, the the critics, you know, if you went to Rotten Tomatoes, most of the reviews that they still have archived today, it was it scores 90 percent. So it was a it was a huge critical hit. And it was even at, when it came to Oscar time, it was it was nominated for four Oscars and actually won two. What was um, it nominated for? It was nominated for Best Actor for Dudley Moore, Best Supporting Actor for Sir John Gilgood, which is he actually won, Best Screenplay, which was written by Steve Gordon, who also directed it, and then Best Song, which it won for, and that's probably to Jason's detriment. Oh, oh this is, yeah, horrible. Oh. Just hearing you say it makes me want to take a dump. Because <laughs> that's a song you would hear when you're in the bathroom. But there'd still be a tear in your eye. I did write down here that you know that that old Hollywood cliche that when a character starts coughing, you know what's happening. 
and that that happens in this case. Hobson starts coughing, just uh, nothing serious, but he he just starts coughing, and it, uh, we do have that Hollywood convention of of coughing equals someone's going to die, and that happens here with with Hobson, uh, the John Gilgood character, the kind of nanny character that's been with Arthur all his life in order to show a he was his dad, not biologically, but that was his dad for his world. <clears throat> right, and he says that in the. There's a scene after he after he dies, he goes in the bar, and I actually really like that scene where he's telling the other mm-hmm. drunk guy, uh, "My dad died uh, mm-hmm. tonight." And you really realize that, and they show that throughout throughout the yeah. film earlier. And it was it was mutual feelings too. Right, very sweet. I, I did it tugged on my heart a little bit. I thought, oh, that's that's a sweet relationship between the two of them. They certainly developed that relationship much better than they could have ever hoped to develop the relationship between he and and Linda. Well, I mean, if Linda is going to die, I I was wishing she would start coughing throughout. The <laughs> well, well, let's well, talk. She did smoke that. in public, so I'm sure it wasn't far off. Let's talk about the um, Judy Garland's vaginal vomit. If there's a fault with this film, I think it's with Liza Minnelli. I know she's if, if. well, no, there's other faults with this film, but the, there's this is the most glaring fault of the film. I thought they missed an opportunity to make this a near perfect film by casting a better role. I don't believe in the love relationship between Arthur and uh, the Linda character, and I, you know, I don't hold Liza Minnelli on a, a, some sort of pedestal even though this is probably the one film that I could say hey, I've seen multiple times that she's in. Well, mm-hmm. let's talk about that, that scene there where he first meets Linda and Jason in his summary <laughs> absolutely nailed it. Is she, she looks like a, she's wearing a neon sign with this yellow slicker and this bright red cowboy hat. Yeah. I mean, it's still a line from spinal tap. She's dressed like an Australian's nightmare. That was one of the notes I made is uh, she's so inconspicuous in this well-to-do store that draws everyone's attention to her. Any, everyone's looking at her, and, and it's no surprise, and maybe this film wasn't nominated for Best Costume Design because what the hell? <laughs> it looked like when she agreed to do the film, she said, all right, I'll do this film and I'll play this part, but I dress the way I dress. <laughs> uh, she knows only one uh, volume and that stage volume. She's constantly projecting to the back of the auditorium. Well, and that that's just Liza Minnelli. That's been in all her films that everything I can remember, and that's just the way she is. Right, because she's a very bad actress, and she doesn't know. She only knows the stage, and nobody has reined her in to say, "Look, you may want to modulate a little bit better with your voice." Well, and it's kind of interesting that how they get to Liza Minnelli. I mean, she granted she didn't win Best Actress for Cabaret. But they they passed up. Uh, there was a lot of other actresses considered. I mean, Mia Farrow, Farrah Fawcett, Goldie Hawn, Barbara Hershey, Diane Keaton, Jessica Lange, Bette Midler, Gilda Radner, Susan Sarandon, Sybil Shepherd, Meryl Streep. These are all the films or all the other actresses considered for this role. But and, Bette Midler can't do this role because at some point Linda has to get on a bus, and Bette is not going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give me Goldie Hawn any day at this time. Yeah, oh, I was uh, I was going to say that. Yeah, this is in Goldie Hawn's heyday at this point in time and you know and she'd worked with Dudley Moore in Foul Play, so damn you Hollywood. It, it, I I thought it was a missed opportunity. I I think you it would it would have been a more interesting romantic storyline if you'd had a more believable actress in that role it, and Except yeah, I, that even with the actress, the story itself never develops as to why anyone should give a shit or why uh, why these guys get together or why Dudley Moore would ever fall for this woman. 
Well, one, she's supposed to be attractive, Fail. which we have to spend all disbelief when you put <laughs> uh, the boycott on on film. So right there, you 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 run into problems. Other than that, she becomes a shoplifter, and you just you can't suspend belief to say that that Dudley Moore, the Arthur character, is simply attracted to someone who's shoplifting to really stick it to his family uh, for making him rich his whole life. She, yeah, she and has it's, to be more attractive than Susan for it to be believable, and they well, just it's because, fail. It's because that she represents everything that his family's not. She's somebody who can keep up with his sense of humor. She, she gets his jokes, and she can give it just as much as take it. I mean, uh, she's she even did the best with Hobson right off the bat. So I could see why she would be endearing to him, even though it wasn't really fleshed out that much. She did represent everything that uh, the, his family was not. I do think that's a great point, Chris, is that – and I did find her – the lines at least funny. I found her off-putting as an actress, but I found the character funny with the lines and the, the banter between uh, whether it be John Gilgood or Dudley Moore. And I, and I, I think that is insightful to say that that's mm-hmm. what he was drawn to is the someone who actually gets his jokes and appreciates <clears throat> – she appreciates his – his humor, yeah. but they don't because, flesh it out more than that. Uh, as far as say, wow, I'm really in love with her. Contrast that with the scene where um, where Arthur proposes to Susan, and uh, you can see exactly. I think then you can see exactly why he falls for Linda as opposed to Susan. Susan tries to change him immediately. You know, Susan um, says um, that uh, a real woman would stop him from drinking. Linda's character doesn't care. <laughs> well, no, that's the best line in the movie, I think. <laughs> It'd have to be a real big woman. <laughs> so maybe Bette Miller would have been the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but she's she's terrible. Well, even going more to that scene is the the Susan character is written so meekly. Arthur, don't you get it? You can get drunk. You can throw up. You can forget to call me for months. You can't lose with me. I know you too well. And I'm much stronger than you are. I know how alone you are. I hate how alone you are. I've cried because you're so alone. Don't be afraid, Arthur. You're never going to be alone again. Laser? I have another one. You want another fish? Don't drink any more, Arthur. Susan? Yes, Arthur. You're such an asshole. This is what I am. Everyone who drinks is not a poet. Some of us drink because we're not poets. A real woman could stop you from drinking. You have to be a real big woman. That I mean, he sits there and insults her at that table. Susan, you're an asshole. And she just smiles and just glows at him. And mm. she's just convinced that he's the man for her. And... And that everything will be all right, and she can do this. I mean, she's, uh, you know, as far as female characters, I, I mean, most feminists would probably be appalled at the way that character is written. Is that she's just, she just wants to be with her man. See, this is what uh, drew me to that scene. I think besides the humor, this scene was uh, what changed the most for me watching it as an adult. The first time I saw it, she seemed like she was just the evil person because that's what the movie told me. But watching this scene, I kind of think that uh, Susan was pushed just as much as Arthur. 
I feel that her dad taught her that uh, it was her duty to be an obedient uh, wife. And she was doing what she thought she had to do. You know, she said a real woman would stop you from drinking, probably because that's what her dad taught her. You know, the dad in the previous scene said that nobody in his family drinks, you know. I just think that uh, she thought it was her, her duty and she was following through with that duty. I mean, the, the movie was a little ambiguous as to how sincere she was. But uh, in, when I saw it uh, just last night, I, I actually had to watch that scene over because I think she is pretty sincere. I mean, in the, in the dinner party, the, the one where he's insulting her from the piano, um, she's the one who suggests uh, that he play the pa- piano in front of everybody. And she seemed generally hurt that uh, he was throwing these insults when she was standing by her man. Right. She's <laughs> always the nice one. Like you, like you said, throughout the film, she's just dotes on him and, uh, and, and seems to genuinely love him. And then after he breaks up with her uh, and dad starts attacking him, she is pleading with him to stop. It's not worth it. So Su- Susan mm-hmm. is probably the most redeeming character uh, other than maybe Hobson in the film. Yeah. Arthur never said she was a bad woman. He only ever said that he was not in love with her. Yeah, and that's interesting that how you bring that up, Chris. The, seeing it now as an adult, I see her as almost as kind of the innocent bystander in this kind of mess that is Arthur's life. And even more so in, in that scene in particular, I, I saw it as Arthur recognizing this is what my life will be if I choose this path. This is I'll be contained. I'll be controlled. They, they want to change me, and that's not what I want to do. I want to do my own thing. I just want to be happy. Even the scene with his grandmother where she was asking him what it's like to be promiscuous, it's sort of like she had his same spirit but was never allowed to be adventurous like him, and she was living a little vicariously through Arthur. Yeah, I, I picked that up as well uh, with Grandma. The character, the grandma character is terrible because on the one hand, she is intent that he is going to be cut off if he doesn't marry Susan, right? And and that's reinforced a couple different times. And then when she's faced with the reality that Dudley Moore or that Arthur might actually have to work, she insists that that not happen and no Bach will ever work, you know, work for a living. They must be rich. And so it's just in the mm-hmm. – that – exposes the plot of the entire sorry exposes the flaw of the entire plot and the entire premises of the movie well let me ask you about that a little bit further i that scene where she's watching dudley moore and liza minnelli in the church what, did she say that just to save face thinking that you know what listening to them uh he has learned his lesson he's he's responsible now that he generally generally understands what it means to be a, an adult or did she just say that because, oh, um, nobody in our family can be poor? I thought it could go either way. I thought that she might be saying that just because she couldn't, that she had to say face and that uh, she thought that he had learned what she wanted him to learn, just the hard way. Damn you, Chris. You always sig when I zag. <laughs> Make me think about these damn movies and rethink my position. <laughs> well, that's what makes this movie great. It's very ambiguous, and I think that what that's what makes any movie really good is when they put these things that you can see either way. <clears throat> you can't help that, or can't help to feel bad for Susan at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's her wedding day. She's obviously very happy when her bridesmaids are around her, and she's getting ready to to go out and do the deed with this loser. And so it's kind of heartbreaking from her standpoint. And I almost felt that Mr. Bach, as, as a jerk as he is, finally did what someone should have done early in Arthur's life is punch him for, you know, acting like a jackass all the time. 
Uh, but on a side note, did anyone notice how much cheese was actually in that bridesmaid's room? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of cheese. Yeah, and a big old knife. That's not a cheese knife. You know what I did like about that scene was that when Arthur goes out there in front of the whole crowd, instead of embarrassing Susan, say, hey, I just dumped her for this uh, hooker from Queens. But uh, so he, he was in front of this audience who all of them, I can assume, thought he was just a spoiled drunk. And uh, instead of saying, I uh, dumped her for this other woman, uh, he says, she dumped me. So he still saved face for her, not making her look like a mean person, but a victim. So she still stayed sympathetic even in front of this uh, this whole wedding crowd, I think. Oh, good point, Chris. I didn't even pick that up when I watched it. Yeah. The one thing we haven't talked about is, is alcoholism <laughs> funny? Oh, in 1981, it was hilarious. I know. I laughed when I saw him driving down the street with a drink in his hand. A bottle. Yeah. A bottle. <laughs> That's right. It, it, obviously, 30 years distance, the societal norms have changed so much where in 1981, drinking and driving was at least a little more acceptable than it is today. I mean, I was I was kind of taken back by a lot of things. I remember the drinking. I didn't remember him driving the car, but I remember him drinking a lot. But all the things he does, I mean, he's, he's an alcoholic. He does, he's a drunk driver. You know, he's uh, he cavorts with whores, does it without apologizing to anyone. Even the way he spends money, he spends money frivolously. That's something if if you remade it today, and they did, that he doesn't do as much. He he just goes and oh, I'm gonna buy. Give me 14 of those sweaters. They're green sweaters. I don't wear sweaters. I'm just I'm pissed and spends money like the people today wouldn't wouldn't have as much. He wouldn't have as much appeal to a general audience because he just doesn't care. He doesn't appreciate what he has. Right. So there's, there's two scenes that are that are really troubling. They're disturbing. And it's the scene where he's on the highway with the bottle in the in the paper bag and the, with the top down, just pulling from that bottle. Right. But the, the, the thing that highlights it is the, the soundtrack behind it. Yeah, it's that little saxophone Arthur music. Yeah, yeah well, you know when he's drunk because he starts laughing. Right, and but that's the, the very happy, happy, lighthearted saxophone music uh, behind this pulling from a bottle in the in the convertible. That's a disturbing scene, and I scene, and I agree with you, Patrick. When he's ordering four dozen sh- sweaters uh, simply because he's mad at his father, it that's also feels very disturbing when you, and, and unsympathetic when when you when they're just wasting money and, and, and doing these things. We talked about, uh, we've already made reference that they've remade this, and from my perspective in rewatching it, I still maintain Dudley Moore and John Gilgood uh, make this film, and they're, they're hilarious, and they're one-liners, and it's their performance more so than the story that makes it so enjoyable. And I thought, man, how could they possibly do this again with anyone else? And what were the differences in the new Arthur, the 2011 Arthur versus the 81 version. Well, this one sucked. <laughs> <laughs> The 1981 version? No, the no, ni- the new one. <laughs> well, the difference is there's some some glaring difference. Uh, he's still an alcoholic. In this one, they give his character a little bit of a character arc where he goes, he starts going to AA meetings. He start he wants to recover. He wants to get better, and he actually even starts that process earlier in the film. With with Hobson, who's played by Helen Mirren in the, the the film, she takes him and goes to a meeting and tries to convince him to do this. She she plays a much more motherly role 
um, a more openly motherly role in the film than John Gielgud did in the original. That where they they acknowledged their relationship towards the end before uh, Hobson dies, but in in the new one, it's very obvious that she cares very much. She she even argues with Arthur's mother. Uh, saying that you've underestimated him, he's stronger than you think, and I, I'm sure that's because you had Helen Mirren playing the role. It, now, well, does, does Helen Mirren does the character uh, does the butless character butless butler character whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Helen Mirren is butless. Uh, does she die in the film? Yeah, the new one? she dies. She dies in the film, and that's also the turning point for Arthur in that film as well. Um, however, the Susan character in the new one is played by Jennifer Garner is a much more evil character that she actually she actually works for Arthur's mother in the Bach Corporation and she's she's trying she wants to marry him so she can kind of have an in on taking over this corporation uh. so I mean they they drastically change that character and you know she is not sympathetic at all she's very controlling she you know she has an agenda there's no not even an implication that she actually cares for arthur in any way shape or form oh well then i'm out yeah everything that worked about the original is non-existent in the the remake mm. Well, there were a lot of lines in this that I just crack, cracked up, but I wanted to highlight a couple of my favorites. But is uh, John Gilgood talking about uh, talking about the Liza Minnelli character, Linda? He says, "Usually, one must go to a bowling alley to meet a qu- woman of such quality." <laughs> I did love love that one, and <laughs> Dudley Moore telling Susan that uh, asking her, "Do you have an objection to naming a child Vladimir, even if it's a girl?" I like that one. And then the other thing I really liked that I just cracked up that I never caught before was there's this one scene of this little kid getting ready to dance with this girl. He takes a <laughs> pull from a drink and pulls out a banaka and sprays the banaka and starts jamming with the girl. I just that's that's 80s, man. Well, yeah, they're playing uh, Le Freak. Well, you know, the, one of the scenes I remember from a kid is his, his entire conversation with Susan's father in front of the moose. Susan up at her apartment in town, and you live here. What, want a drink? I never drink. Ah, oh. no one in my family ever drinks. That's great. You probably never run out of ice your whole life. <laughs> I don't drink because drinking affects your decision making. You may be right. I can't decide. <laughs> this is a little humor. <laughs> Where's the rest of this moose? I, uh, I think it's time we got to know one another. I do too. That's why I had you come over today. <laughs> this is a tough room. I don't have to tell you that. You must have hated this moose. Why don't you forget the moose for a moment? I mean, it still cracks me up today where he's fixated on the moose and, you know, even when they go over and he's fixing himself a drink and Susan's father comes over and says, you know, says, I'll basically hurt you if you, if you, you know, make my daughter unhappy. And he said, what if I make her cranky? (laughs) (laughs) So when Susan's father puts his hand on his shoulders, oh, is this it? Is she already have unhappy? (laughs) (laughs) And then the the other one, the other one with John Gilgood, one of my favorite scenes is after he's, he's in the bath after banging the hooker and he's telling hobson baths are great and girls are great and hobson says just imagine if you found a girl that bathed (laughs) no i agree with you matt what you were saying is that what works in this film and ultimately what i think still holds up is the 
two actors, John Gielgud and Dudley Moore, their performances, which is fortunately about 98% of the film, that they're in pretty much every, one of them or both of them are in, in pretty much every scene of the film. And when they're on screen, it works. And when they're not on screen, I don't give a shit. Right. Uh, anything else on this film? Scenes, lines, any things, problems, or, or issues with the story before we get to our ultimately our ultimate opinion? I just say that there's like two scenes that just floor me every time. The the one scene where uh, Arthur says he's going to take care of take care of his dad or um, take care of Hobson, and uh, the next thing scene you see a guy frantically trying to get the food to him and on time, and uh, Arthur has brought his entire bedroom set into the into the hospital room. Just imagine the logistics of some of him bringing uh, a full king-size bed through a hospital. <laughs> it just cracks me up. And then there's the other little scene where uh, Arthur's bathing and he turns on his train and uh, Hobson uh, walks in. First thing he does, turns off the train and brings him his drink. Just little things that they, they and, just crack me up. And, and there's kind of those little things right before that scene that Arthur sitting in the giant king throne always cracks me up. Hobson? Yes. Do you know what I'm going to do? No, I don't. I'm going to take a bath. I'll alert the media. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go first. I, uh, I was surprised how much I love this film and watching it again. I was surprised how funny I found it. I was laughing out loud at, at the lines. I do think the story still is, is somewhat flawed with the arranged marriage and kind of the whole, you might lose your money and, and this and that and the, the happy ending at, at the end where she just, sorry, just kidding. But Dudley Moore, John Gilgood absolutely make this film and it's worth watching uh, over and over and over again. And I even like the end scene where he goes and talks to grandma and comes back and he says, well, I turned her down, you know, cause we're going to have a tuna fish sandwich. I mean, I took the money. I'm not crazy. It, it's, it still made me laugh today. And, and I definitely think Arthur with the alcoholism, with the drunk, drunk driving, uh, it's still the movie itself stands the test of time because of the, the dialogue. Yeah. I, I'm going to echo Matt. I, I don't care for the story. Uh, so much. I, I hate, Garland's vaginal vomit tremendously, but uh, the characters that Dudley Moore and John Gilgood uh, put forth on film carry this movie, even when Arthur's not drunk. Even when he sobers up to watch John Gilgood die, um, he comes off very genuine and very believable. And, you know, those two performances really make the movie for me. Chris? Uh, I loved it then. I love it now. Um, I've said it before. If I see this uh, movie come on during the day or night, I'll stop whatever I'm doing and I'll just watch it until the end. Um, it's a great movie. Cracks me up every time. I, I appreciate the, the nonverbal humor probably more than the, the verbal humor. Uh, it's just a great movie. You know, I, I was kind of surprised. I loved this movie when I was a kid. I didn't know how I'd react to it now. My initial thoughts is I pro it's probably going to look very dated to me, probably not as funny because the passage of time. And, you know, as it was something we discussed that, you know, alcoholism and drunk driving and all those things are not as funny today. But I was floored by how much I really enjoyed the performances of Dudley Moore and John Gielgud in this film. 
their performances overcome all the weaknesses in the film. I still think it's a great film. I do not own this film, uh, but I've actually even looked it up that I'm going to go out and buy it because I enjoyed it so much and I know I'm going to watch it again. And I do think it stands the test of time. If you're going to watch a version of Arthur, this is the version of Arthur to see. Wow, I didn't think we'd have unanimity on this one, man. I thought yeah. thought uh, somebody was going to kill it, so I was ready to defend myself. But And, and we should mention, this did spawn a, a sequel in 88, I believe. Yeah, seven and, years later. And it just, they it, that was vaginal diarrhea, that film. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's Arthur. Go check it out. Love me some Dudley Moore, hate me some Liza Minnelli. Check us out on Facebook, lunchtimemoviereview.com. Send us an email if you'd like to comment on this podcast or any other. Comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com. And one thing we didn't say is we are coming to you via Skype today. So if anyone would like to be a guest reviewer or a guest panelist, give us a call. Sign up with Skype and you too can be on this podcast. All right, we got to get out of here right now and you guys are invited. podcast is not endorsed by Warner Home Video and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Arthur, all names and sounds of Arthur characters, and any other Arthur-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Home Video or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.